0: May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Our sermon text this evening comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. And I encourage you to follow along in your scriptures when we get to the sermon text in just a moment. Well, today we are reaching the end of our mini-series, Relent, A Time to Give Up. The goal of the series was and is to help us give up our sins for the Lord and to give up ourselves to the Lord. The last thing we're going to consider in this section of Ephesians is the the contrast or comparison between wisdom and folly. And so this is what Paul is going to address as he addresses us as the children of the Father. He calls us to do one more thing, and that is to walk in wisdom. And with that brief introduction, I encourage you, if you are able and willing to stand for the reading of God's holy word from Ephesians 5, 17 to 14. Ephesians 5:15 to 20. I'm sorry. Ephesians 5:15 to 20. The word of God says, "Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery." but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says... You may be seated. Well, as children of the Father, adopted by grace into the family of God, we are called to walk in wisdom and worship before the face of God. This is a fitting end to a brief series on sanctification, a fitting end to see the the goal for which we have been trying to do these things. And that is that God the Father has called us to walk in wisdom and he has called us to walk in worship before his face. I have interacted with this passage many times throughout the course of my ministry and over the years, my understanding of the passage has evolved somewhat, uh, to put it mildly. My understanding of what is happening here has grown, and I hope that it's become more Christ-centered and perhaps more faithful to what the Holy Spirit has revealed here. But the thing I want us to see as we look at this text is that there are two very practical ways we can approach this passage of Scripture. Two very practical ways to understand what it means to walk in wisdom and to walk in worship. And there are two books behind the book of Ephesians that actually helps us. When we read a passage like this, we're looking at what Paul has written to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what we might overlook is that this is, in fact, a kind of jewel set atop a a setting. There are other things that are holding this up. And what Paul is doing is he is placing this at the very top of, say, the book of Proverbs and the book of the Psalms. Paul tells us to walk in wisdom and to walk in worship. And if we were New Testament only people, we might say, well, where do we go from here? How do we figure this out? But we're not a New Testament only kind of people. We have the whole of Scripture to look at. And and so when we hear walk in wisdom, we should hear, oh, the book of Proverbs can help us with that. When we hear about walking in worship... We can say, oh, the book of Psalms can help us with that. And these are two things that are actually hinted at in Paul's writing. So I want us to take a moment to look at what it means to walk in wisdom. And then I want to encourage you to spend some time in the book of Proverbs. Some people will take a chapter a day from the book of Proverbs and read through it and meditate on it. And in the course of a month, they've gone through all of the Proverbs and they've become wiser in the process. And so I encourage you, especially you moms and dads with little children, go to the Proverbs and learn about the wisdom of God for bringing your children up in the Lord and in the things of God. We're called here to walk as wise, but not unwise. There's a distinction again between the two. The book of excuse me, the book of Proverbs teaches us that God is the source of all wisdom And if we want insight and understanding to life, if we want to find this skill set to make it through life in a way that is bringing glory to God and doing good to the world, Proverbs helps us with that. I'll give you one example of the benefits of wisdom according to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 2 verses 1 to 15 talks to us about the benefits of walking according to the wisdom that God has revealed to us. As we just heard in the Old Testament reading before the sermon, wisdom is like a lady. She has a voice. She calls out. She's trying to disciple and convert and bring people her way. Well, a good father, a good mother will echo that. And Proverbs 2 does this where the word of God says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. From men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And there are many things like that in the book of Proverbs. That Wisdom of God is handed down to one generation, which conveys it to the next generation to make sure that the people of God walk in the ways of the Lord. When Paul says to us that we must walk in wisdom, that we must be careful how we walk, we find help for this way of life, for this journey by listening to our forefathers in the faith. It was Solomon who cried out to God for God to give him wisdom instead of riches and power and majesty and wealth. And God gave him wisdom so that he became a wise king. And now we have been led to Jesus Christ, who is the true and better Solomon, who who himself is the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden these things. And so it's not just a matter of listening to the words of King Solomon, but now it's a matter of listening to the king of kings who is the wisest of all. This is what it means to walk in wisdom and to live by the benefits of wisdom. The gospel has taught us that Jesus himself is the embodiment of God's wisdom. And true wisdom is found by walking or by living in Christ This is what Paul has been telling us uh, in Ephesians for the last several weeks, steering us to walk in Christ. And now we're learning that by walking in Christ, we find what real, true wisdom looks like. Notice Paul tells us to make the best use of the time, or some of your translations might say, make the most of your days. That's good advice. Most people like to live by that advice. And so they will fill their days with a wide array of activities to make sure there is no breathing space. There's no way anyone could accuse me of being slothful or lazy. Look how busy my schedule is. Look how filled up it is. That's not exactly what Paul has in mind, by the way. He's not saying fill up your schedule to the max so that there's no wiggle room or breathing room for you. You're not trying to impress men. You're trying to walk before the face of your father. When he tells us to make the best use of our time, in essence, he is saying something that John Piper had told us to do or not to do. Don't waste your life. That's what he's getting at. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life doing a bunch of stupid and foolish things. Things that dull the senses, things that lull you to sleep spiritually, things that stifle your life in Christ, things that do not enable you to bring good things to life. Do not waste your life. Make the best use of the time. So whatever you do. Whatever you do, whether it's watching Netflix or playing games or spending time on social media, driving to your job, shuffling papers at work, twisting wrenches, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God with a God consciousness. Keep yourselves aware of who God is and who you are as his son or daughter. This is what it means to make the best use of the time. We are constantly faced with decisions. We have to decide every waking moment what we're going to do or not do. And it's not always a matter of choosing between right and wrong. That's actually easy enough. What most of us are faced with is a decision to do what is good, better, or best. And I think what Paul would say to us is don't settle for doing good. That's okay. But strive for the best. Make the best use of your time. And you do it for the glory of God and the good of others. Encourage us to find out what the will of the Lord is. And we don't have to guess. We don't have to pull out a Ouija board. We don't have to draw straws or cast lots and gaze at chicken livers to figure out what the will of, the will of the Lord is. The word of God tells us what the will of the Lord is. First Thessalonians 4, 8, for example, says this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does that mean? It means that God wants his children to become holy and blameless in his sight. He wants you to keep cleaning up your act. He wants you to keep straightening up your life. He wants you to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the will of God for us. And so it takes out all the guesswork because God tells us clearly what he wants for us. Life can be very difficult, right? Life can be difficult. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of anxiety and fear. And there is a tendency, even among the people of God, for people to self-medicate, for people to find some way of escape, some kind of relief, Paul uses one example here. Do not get drunk with wine. And some of us might say, well, that's not my issue. I don't have an issue with that. I'm okay. But if we dig a little deeper and say, okay, don't get drunk with wine is one thing. But how about this? Don't use pornography. Don't overeat. Don't turn to food for comfort. Don't go on a spending spree every time you get extra money just to make yourself feel better. It's not going to last You see, he's using one example here, but it's not a hard, fast rule like there's nothing else that would fit here. There are a lot of things that could fit here. Things that lead to debauchery, things that lead to loose and dirty life. Paul says, don't do that. Don't be controlled by those things. Don't be manipulated by those things. Instead, here's the the counter to it. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we could go on, as I once did in a sermon a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I went on a, on, a, on a rabbit trail, and I talked about the benefits of wine. I talked about the dangers of wine, and I thought, this is a rock-solid sermon. And at the end of worship, as we were walking out to the car, Shannon looks over at me, and she says, I'm sure that was all very necessary and good, but... Did it have to go on so long? Well, I'm going to spare you all of that self-indulgence this evening. Just know that God has given us many gifts. Wine is a gift from the Lord that gladdens the heart. But if it can be abused, so it's not the use of the gift that Paul is concerned about here. It is the abuse of the gift that gets us into trouble. And think about all of the gifts that God has given us. We take God's gifts and we have a tendency to misuse them, to abuse them. This is what Paul is warning us about. You don't want to take something like food, which is very good, very good for you. Tasty and delicious, especially the more salt and grease it has in it, right? We love that kind of thing. But Paul is warning us to use these gifts for the glory of God and not just for our own benefits. How do we do this? How do we avoid the abuse and misuse of God's good gifts to us? Well, he tells us that we need to use the uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't be controlled. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Many people who self-medicate, who look for something to take, take the edge off of the pain in life, They're just trying to find a little bit of help. We get that. okay? we've all been tempted towards that in one way or another. But I want to remind you that our help comes from the Lord. Our help comes from the Lord. Our helper is the Holy Spirit. And so here, if we're going to walk in wisdom, we need to walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. We need to pay attention to where the spirit is leading us in the word of God and pointing us to Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is getting at. This is what it means to walk in wisdom, not in unwisdom or in foolishness. But how can we be filled with the Spirit? Think about that command for a moment. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command to have something happen to you. How can you make something happen to you if you have to rely on someone else to do it for you? That's the trick, isn't it? Be filled with the Spirit. So it's passive. We're waiting on the Spirit of God to come and help us. But there's nothing mystical about it. Notice that Paul goes on to explain how we can be filled with the Spirit. And that's where we shift gears from walking in wisdom to now walking in worship. Okay? This is how you can be filled with the Spirit. I want to take the mysticism out of it for a moment. Although there is great mystery in what the Holy Spirit does for us. But here's how Paul tells us how by saying, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Right. That's one way we show that we are filled with the spirit. Another way we do it is by singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. And another way is by giving thanks always and for everything to God, the father. How do you know if you are being filled with the Spirit? Or how do you know if the Spirit has filled you up, taken control of you, is leading and guiding you? Well, it comes out of your mouth. It comes out in your life. It comes out in what you do with your hands. It comes out of your heart. That's how you know. So we know that we are being filled with the spirit by what the spirit of God is moving us to do. And here he's moving us to worship God, turning us inside out so that we are centered on who God is and what God has done for us in his marvelous works. One of the ways that we can be filled with the spirit is by speaking to ourselves in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Now, this idea of speaking to ourselves could mean this. Okay, are you ready? It could mean that you are, in fact, speaking to yourself. It's self-talk. You're talking to yourself with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. That is one way of interpreting this passage. So as you go about your daily life, what is on your heart? What is on your mind? What's coming out of your mouth? It could be that in those moments you are singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs as a way of reminding yourself of what God has done. You're singing so that your spirit is being lifted up so that your life is being pointed towards God. That's one possible interpretation, which I think is very good. Another way is in community. We are speaking to ourselves together. Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. So if you ask me, which is it? I'm going to say the answer is both. That's usually my answer for controversial things. It's both, right? It's both. Speak to yourself. Speak together these things. Spend some time reading the Psalms, reflecting on the Psalms, remembering the Psalms. Get a hymnal and spend some time alone or with your family singing these hymns of our faith that had been handed down to us. And when you learn other songs, maybe you heard it on the radio or got it from someone else, sing that as well. There's a wide range of music out there that can be very helpful to us. I was speaking with um, a friend this past week, and she was telling me how in a very uh, dark and desperate moment of her life, she's driving in her car and she just switches on the radio and a song happened to be on that she felt spoke right to her situation. It was a Christian song, a song that I didn't know, a song that some people might want to pass judgment on. But in that moment, she was being encouraged and brought from darkness to light by the, the words of that song, And that kind of thing happens to us when we spend time reading the psalms. Some of us make use of the book of common prayer. And if you make good, good use of the book of common prayer, you'll find yourself not only praying more, but you'll find yourself praying through the psalms. And in the course of a month, guess what you'll do? You'll cover 150 psalms. And over the course of time, Those Psalms are getting into every fiber of your being. And so that in moments of great joy, you've got the language of God to apply and speak to that situation. In moments of sorrow and desperation, you've got the language of God to speak to that. And so the Holy Spirit through the Psalms begins to shape us and form us. Some of us have been in the Christian church long enough that we've learned a wide range of hymns. And there are moments in your life when a a hymn will just seem to come out of nowhere and you find yourself singing in the car or maybe as you're taking a walk somewhere, you have that hymn in your heart and mind. This is the kind of thing Paul is getting at. We want to make good use of these resources, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The psalms here in context refer to the book of psalms in the Old Testament. The Greek word that is used conveys the idea of striking the chords of a musical instrument. The Psalms in the Old Testament were performed in that way with a musician plucking on their version of a guitar. Paul is not saying that you all have to learn how to play guitar so you can sing the Psalms. That's not his point. His point is that You learn the psalm so that you can sing praises to God and nourish your soul. And when you do that together, hope and pray that someone can pluck along with the music. Hymns, according to scholars, tell us that the word hymns means that in Greek writings from Homer all the way down. Hymns are songs of praise to the gods and heroes and conquerors of the day. And Paul uses that to say we're not going to sing about just any and every hero and conqueror. We're going to sing praises to the triune God, especially the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hero and our conqueror. Spiritual songs have to do with odes or chants. And we don't we don't chant. We could chant. It might be fun to learn how to chant, but we don't chant. And sometimes when we hear it, you see a YouTube video or a meme or something and people are chanting. Usually they're making fun of something. But there was a time in Christian history when chanting was a big deal and they would chant, uh, our, our brothers and sisters would chant through the Psalms. They're just trying to obey what the Holy Spirit said in Ephesians here. But all of this comes together when Paul says singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So whether you're, in, whether you're singing the Psalms or a hymn or a spiritual song, you're, doing, you're making melody with your heart to the Lord, not just going through the motions. And the idea of making melody here means plucking a string or playing on a stringed instrument. Some people would say this is the idea of plucking on the strings of your heart. I don't know exactly how you would do that, but they're trying to get to the idea that your heart needs to be engaged as you walk before God in worship. And so you're not just playing with your fingers or paying lip service to God. You are bringing your heart to engage the Lord. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to mention it for uh, the sake of those of us who had this in our past. There are churches out there, Uh, The churches of Christ are some. There are actually some Reformed and Presbyterian churches that insist that the only way we can apply this passage is to do it without instruments. In other words, they say it has to be a cappella only, only. And I would just want to say in in as gracious a way as possible, I think our brothers and sisters are misreading the Scriptures at this point. So, while we're free to sing a cappella, we're not required to do so. We're not prohibited in the New Testament or the Old Testament from using instrumental music. In fact, the very word psalm that we've been looking at here indicates that instruments not only may be used, but it's more than permissible. It's more than permissible. The psalms themselves encourage worshipers to sing with musical instruments as accompaniment. I'll give you a couple of examples of that. In Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, if you were listening carefully to our the psalm we read at the beginning of worship, and then the sermon text for now, you'll hear that Ephesians 5 is actually echoing Psalm 149. It echoes Psalm 49. It uses the same kind of language about singing and making melody. And that psalm talks about worshiping God and having certain kinds of instruments around and and approaching God with certain resources and tools. If you jump to Psalm 150, Psalm 150 mentions a variety of musical instruments. And I won't read all of that, but I just want you to know the psalm is very specific about the things that God's spirit is calling God's people to use as they draw near to him in worship. I do want to point out tongue in cheek that things like organs and drums are not listed. It doesn't mean that organs and drums can't be used, by the way. But I like to point that out for people who insist that organs are the way to go. And you've been in places where that organ comes at you hard and heavy, right? And I like a good drum. I wish we had some rhythm up here as as our musicians do, just to make sure, you know, that's not a criticism of our musicians. But the idea here is that God wants us to take the best of what we can make and create and bring it together, redeem music and bring it to him in worship. Martin Luther said that music is the the handmaiden of theology. Music is the handmaiden of theology. The two go hand in hand together. And you need one to help the other. And so you know from experience that the right psalm, the right hymn, the right spiritual song can actually be used as a helpful weapon to fend off the darkness and the foolishness of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The point that I wish to make here in all of this is that the power of music must be felt among the children of the Father. Think about this. The Father wants His house to be filled with the sounds of His children singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. A couple of days ago on Facebook, one of my pastor friends said that he was... He was moved to tears of joy because in a far off room in the house, he heard one of his children playing on a little flute. And he was trying to make out a hymn that he had been learning in church. And he wanted to play that on his flute. That's the kind of thing that drives a father to joy in his house. And God the Father is driven to joy when we draw near to him in wisdom and in worship. Paul tells us here another way we can show that we are filled with the Spirit is by giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that's easy to overlook. But the older I get, the more impressed I am with what the Scriptures say about gratitude. It's so easy to be ungrateful, to grow cynical, or to be careless about the gifts that God has lavished upon us. But here we are told to be grateful, to give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to never underestimate the value of gratitude. Never underestimate the value of gratitude for everything. Everything good and bad, everything that hurts, everything that helps. Give thanks to God, because you know that God is at work in the midst of all of these things. And He's working for your good. He's working to make you like Jesus Christ, and that is a good thing. So never underestimate the value of gratitude, but consider that ingratitude can lead you to all kinds of sin and rebellion. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that the Greek word for thanksgiving is the word from which we get the word Eucharist, the word Eucharist, which many people use to refer to the Lord's Supper. I want you to think about this as we draw near to the table today. Here we are in the Father's house, and we're here because our elder brother Jesus Christ has laid down his life to make it Uh, make it real for us, to make make it possible for us to be here. And the Holy Spirit has given us the seal of the Father to show that we belong in this family. And now we're being called to the family meal. And this table is the place where we come not to make sacrifices and offerings, but this is the place where we come to give thanks to God. We come to Partake of the Eucharist, we come to give thanks to God for everything that God, the triune God, has done for us, is doing for us and will do for us. We thank God our Father for electing us in Jesus Christ and for predestinating us for adoption. We thank our elder brother Jesus for taking on our flesh and laying down his life for our sins. We thank the Holy Spirit for sealing us and for securing our salvation for the day of redemption. We thank God for each other, for one another, for the love that we have received from each other, the support that we have given to others and received from them. We thank God for the church around the world, the communion of saints, Christians throughout the world in all space and time. We give thanks because we're a part of that vast family of God. We give thanks for the life that we've been given, for all of the ups and the downs that we've experienced, the growth that we've enjoyed, the struggles that we've overcome, the grace that God has lavished upon us, the forgiveness of sins, our sins, my sins, and the help that God offers us in Christ. God has called us as His children, adopted by grace into His family, to walk in wisdom, to walk in worship before His face. And we're encouraged in this passage of Scripture to do just that. So as you come to the table today, keep that in mind. You're coming to give thanks to God in Jesus Christ for what He's done to you, done for you. Well, in this season of Lent, I hope and pray that you have learned something about what it means to relent, to give up your sins for the Lord and to give up yourselves to the Lord. When we started the series, I encouraged you to examine yourselves and to pick one or two sins that are persistent in your life and to pick a fight with them and to spend this Lenten season, 40 days of just fighting with that sin and praying that God would grant you repentance unto life and obedience to his word. I hope you're engaged in that battle. I hope that you've been doing that and that you will keep on doing that. And not just in this 40 days, but beyond that. Pick another fight with another sin. And then beyond that, pick another fight. And keep fighting these things so that you are turning away from those sins and turning yourselves to Jesus Christ. I hope that you've learned something about how to live in the Father's house as adopted sons and daughters. You belong here. Christ has made it so you have a place here and you belong in this house. And I hope and pray that you always remember and never forget that the Father loves you, that Jesus is on your side, the Spirit is for you, and that God is relentless in His pursuit of you.